Chantelle Turner, founder of the Stronger Mommy movement, met her husband working backstage on The Lion King. A few years later, they had a special needs baby she never knew she dreamt of. And now she's on a mission to share her story and the best resources in the world with other special needs moms. The Legendary Marriage Podcast begins now. If you're feeling more like roommates than soulmates, it's time for the Legendary Marriage Podcast. Every couple wants to have a great marriage, but the trials and challenges of life pull us in different directions. So we talk with amazing couples who share their stories and incredible experts who share their wisdom about building a life together. And at the end of every show, we give you a conversation starter so you and your spouse can build more intimacy and connection in your marriage by having conversations that matter. All right, welcome to the show. This is Danielle and Justin, and this is episode 127. Yes, we're your co-hosts, and we are on our Mother's Day hangover this morning. (laughs) Yes, I am. I'm actually, uh, my favorite was the sensory deprivation tank. You gave me a Groupon, big fan of Groupon, even though they're not sponsors of the show, still a big fan of Groupon. Hey, Groupon, um, if you want to sponsor our show, <laughs> we'll cut you a deal. And I can get even more tickets Groupons to are great sem- for sensory deprivation. No, 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 no. Listen, Groupons are great for date nights, great for Mother's Day, Father's Day, Valentine's Day, Any Groundhog Day. day. Yeah. yeah. Flag Day. Arb- flag Day. That's Arbor right. Day. We need a new flag. We do need it. All apply. right. Anyway, hey, uh, just a couple announcements before we dive into today's episode. I'm super excited to share this one. I uh, met Chantel at Funnel Hacking Live this year, and oh, yeah. she's just an incredible woman and has a fantastic story and just a huge heart for um, parents, yeah. especially parents with yeah. special needs kids. And I feel like that's one of those um, things okay. where it always just gets dropped in your lap. Yeah. You have no idea how to deal with it, and Chantel's going to help you. Uh, before we dive into that, now this feels weird going to announcements after you do that. Like, what? Anyway, hey, before we go to the to the uh, conversation with Chantel, a couple quick announcements. Hey, the show just keeps growing. Well, last month was crazy. This month, the 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 downloads are going through the roof. It's crazy. Um, it's awesome. Uh, we're super grateful for that because we're on a mission. We got some big things coming to impact a million couples over the next two years to help couples build a life of love and a legacy together. So we're on Spotify and iTunes and iHeartRadio and Stitcher and Google Play and all the other places. But this reminds me, we always mention at the end of the show, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review because it really, really matters. This makes a huge difference, y'all. If you would do us this favor, if this show has meant anything to you, if it has been valuable, if you have laughed, cried uh, at our antics, at uh, been impacted by guests, by by the uh, conversation we're having, please jump on iTunes or on the podcast app on your phone and leave a quick review. Um, this, this helps us show up in searches so that more couples find us and they can laugh at us or with us or whatever they're doing and, uh, and just get, get this great, um, conversation starting content that our guests bring every, every week with couples coming and sharing their stories and guests bringing their expertise, their wisdom. So, all right. Speaking of conversations. We always uh, have some great conversations. Pillow Talk Live Thursday night on our Facebook page, 8 p.m. Central. You realize you're going to be pillow talking live by yourself this week. (gasps) Can I live stream you in? 
No, I'll be in the midst of top secret operations at the Braveheart Intensive. Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's right. Justin's leading a retreat this weekend. So I'm pillow talking by myself. What am I going to do? Just hit myself with a pillow? Uh, I don't know. I, I think, might have to I think you th- could get an audience for that. <laughs> anyway, hey, the last thing is the check-in. This is a powerful tool. Five minutes a day. You can build more intimacy and connection with your spouse. You can find it at legendarymarriage.com slash check-in. All right. All right. On to the show. All right, Chantel Turner, Stronger Mommy. Um, she is on a mission helping all those special needs moms out there. And uh, we just have a and great... And all of us. I know. Yeah. Such a good conversation. Yeah. All oh right. Oh my gosh. Let's get to it with Chantel Turner. Oh my gosh. So we have the pleasure of having Chantel Turner on the show today. She is the founder of Stronger Mommy, and she is all about helping parents with special needs kids just really come together, get the support they need. Um, And she really got thrown into the deep end about four years ago when she had her daughter, Kiara. And it was it was just a shock to her, all of the needs that she was going to have to deal with with her. And she loves her so much and she's doing so wonderfully today, but she knows that she had a crazy journey to walk. And so she is all about being in it with those other parents that may feel like they need a little bit of support. So welcome to the show, Chantel. How you doing? Thank you so much for having me on. I'm doing really well today. Oh, goodness. Okay. So I want to know, like, you are like this mommy expert now. (laughs) So... No, so you're not a therapist, you're not a counselor, but you do coach other parents and you are like a killer mom yourself. But <laughs> were you like a baby crazy, like awesome, like can't wait to be a mommy kind of a kid when you were little? Definitely not. I didn't even want to babysit because I was not a kid person. Um, and my mom always told me like not to say you're not a something person. So I'd be like, oh, I'm not an outdoors person. And she's like, don't put limits on yourself. But like really, as an adult, even now, I'm not an outdoors person. And I was not a kid person. I didn't like kids. I didn't even want to sit at the t- kid table when I was a kid. I I never wanted to be a kid. And I never I never had an affinity for other kids. Um, just seemed like a lot of work. I thought maybe someday I would grow up and like in a, a maybe adopt like a you know a, a twelve year old or something. Like I didn't even <laughs> want to adopt a baby. I didn't want to make a baby. You're not a kid anymore. <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, even you know into my twenties, twenty five. Um, you know, didn't really want a kid until I met my husband. And maybe it's just meeting the right person. Um, and you know, my husband definitely wanted to have kids, but I didn't feel pressured. It was just that, um, meeting and connecting with the right person and seeing that that is somebody that you could not only share your life with, but you know, raise a family with. I love that your mom said like, don't say I am something or I am, or I am not something. Justin, I always marvel at this. Like if you put the words like I am this, or I am not this, it like, shapes your identity of like who you are. Be really careful about Or if you you say something like, oh, I don't feel like, you know, doing outdoor sports or something like that. That's like totally different than I am not an outdoor person. Now, it would be funny to, uh, I think it's ironic that you're sitting here. Like if, so our listeners can't see you, but behind you, you have play castles and all this beautiful kid art on the wall and like everything. And she is like the epitome of the mommy zone 
here. So it's, it's, a, it's almost a facade. It's not a facade, but in a way, like, I think we are all the best versions of ourselves publicly. <laughs> so if yeah. you could see me, you would see what looks like this super awesome play space behind me, which is like every kid's dream palace. But what it really is, is a leave mommy alone for a few minutes and let her work space. <laughs> yes. So my desk is here. And this is the only way, and it's not long lived. I mean, there's an iPad that, that happens back there when, when I need it. Nope. <laughs> so I just oh love- Oh my God, it. bless the iPad. God bless the Thank iPad bless. and Legos. That is how that yeah. is how we get our interviews done. The iPad and the Legos. That's yes. basically it. So people see me and they think, oh my God, you're so happy. You're so perky. You have so much energy. Like everything in your life must be perfect. And I can tell you that I am not a Pinterest perfect parent. Like <laughs> there, there's a lot of days where this is a total disaster. So just so everybody knows that I am not as perfect as it may appear on video. <laughs> oh, that's, that's okay. None of us are. <laughs> no. I'm wondering, so like your parents growing up, you already said your mom had some wise words. So um, I'm just wondering, like, what were your parents? What were your, what was your family like growing up? Yeah. So, um, I was born in New York, Long Island. Um, and occasionally I say a word where it sounds like it, but it's, (laughs) it's every now and then. And we moved when I was super young, um, as a family, we moved from all the way from New York to Arizona to Tucson, which is kind of like, especially then 30 or 35 years ago was not a big town. (laughs) And, um, so I grew up in Tucson. Um, my parents got divorced when I was three and, um, I was too young to really say that it was hard. There were hard times, but like, it, I was super young at three. Like, I don't remember the divorce. Um, and my dad got remarried when I was about five and she had a daughter already who was about six months older than I was. And it was not an easy remarriage. Um, my stepmom, who is still my stepmom today. Um, and I have had some rough times <laughs> in our relationship And, um, and I did not get along with my sister, you know, it was definitely like a, you're stealing my mom, you're stealing my dad kind of situation. And we were six months age apart, but a a year like grade level apart. So I always felt like I was living in her shadow. Um, she was super popular. She had a lot of friends, you know, so there was like that kind of animosity. Um, and my stepmom was, I think, trying to like, make sure that she could hold on to the relationship with my dad and all that. So there was a lot going on in there as well. And then they ended up having another child when I was about seven, um, who, so my half brother, and then my mom remarried <laughs> when I was about 12. And, um, I never felt like, so when my dad remarried my stepmom, I never felt like I was her daughter. I was always her stepdaughter. And so when my mom started dating, when I was about 12, I was worried that it was going to be an additional situation like that, mm-hmm. where I was going to be another stepdaughter. And instead the man that my mom ended up remarrying from day one, always treated me like his daughter. I was introduced as his daughter. Um, It was just a very different relationship. And I definitely went back and forth between the homes. I had to play monkey in the middle, which was hard. Um, my, My mom is very like open and easygoing and communicative, my dad, not so much. So um, I was the point person that would pass messages back and forth. Um, They had joint custody, but I, by the time I was old enough, I was kind of choosing to go where, and I did, I played that to the best of my abilities. If I got in trouble at one house, I'd go to the other. (laughs) But um, it was, um, it was very interesting growing up, but it definitely, you know, dealing with some of those hardships and some of the relationship with my stepmom and all of that actually made me a really strong person. I always tell people like part of what I love about myself is that it toughened me up in the best way there. Like I can let so much roll off of me and I can move past so many struggles that a lot of people deal with. 
because I dealt with them for so long growing up that now I'm like, oh, we'll just go past that. We'll get past that. Like, so it actually helps me a lot. <laughs> I just love that you use the phrase. One of the things I love about myself. Yeah. I love uh, that. <laughs> I love a lot of things about myself. Like Not in like now. a, you know, self-centered way, but in a, you should yeah. love yourself. You should be happy with your life. You should embrace all of the hardships and the challenges and, you know, everything that's happened to me. I look at it as what is the best part about this really bad situation? Like yeah. I always am looking at, you know, like how fortunate am I, even in the worst moment, I know there are people that are going through something worse, that are going through something harder. You know what? I, I grew up with a lot of money. My parents had a lot of money. I was very fortunate in that way. We learned how to, you know, take care of money and to be responsible financially and all of that. And I still had to have a job at 16. I was not, but like, I woke up Christmas morning and if I, if we wanted a new game console, it was under the tree. There were bikes under the tree. We had a lot of stuff. So we were very fortunate And so as hard as maybe some pieces of that were with some emotional stuff going on with my family and whatnot, like there are people that were homeless. There are people that couldn't eat on Christmas. Like I felt so fortunate. I always try to look at that. You know, anytime you can look at the bright side of a situation, it just makes everything better. Yeah, I love that. And I also like, I feel the fire in you. And, yes. I, and I bet you there are some things from like growing up with the, the different sets of parents that you thought like, I'm not ever going to do that as a parent. Did you ever like have any of those insights? Like what if and when like down the road or maybe like when you became a parent, you're like, I'm definitely not doing that. Yeah, well, I would say since I didn't want to be a parent, <laughs> I was like, well, divorce oh, will be there this you go. I'm never going to be a parent. So problem solved there. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, you know, it's funny when my, um, even when we were dating, when I was dating my husband and I knew how much he wanted to have, we dated for almost like four and a half years before I got married, but, um, and he had been married before. So that's why we dated for a long time. And, um, and I knew he wanted to, you know, have a family and all of that. He grew up as an only child. So I knew he wanted kids. Um, and when we were dating, you know, we did date for a long time. He had been married and divorced and I didn't want to be married and divorced. I didn't want it to be a fleeting thing. And so at one point, um, my family, like, cause we would you know, be at our house, my house, my parents' house for Christmas. And I think he had mentioned something like, you know, half, half drunk because my dad likes to pour wine at dinner and, and it never seems to end <laughs> half drunk at, at Christmas one night or something. He must, he must've said something to my stepmom about maybe thinking about marrying me at some point. And she turned into like, Oh, propose at Christmas dinner. And it made a whole thing about it. And he ended up spilling the beans to me in the car, because again, half drunk, in the car driving to my mom's house. This was my life growing up. I would do Christmas Eve dinner at my dad's. Yeah. Um, then uh, we would like sleep, do Christmas morning at my dad's, and then drive to my mom's for Christmas day dinner. Even though we're Jewish on my mom's side, I don't know. Like, I still did Christmas. Um, <laughs> so we're, like, doing Why not, all- right? Hey, that's another fun thing to do. Yeah, yeah. So I was just like rotate for holidays. And, um, and so we were driving to my mom's house, and he was telling me about how my stepmom was. He's like, well, if it comes out, like, I just want you to know this whole thing is going on and they think I'm going to propose to you whenever. And I looked him dead in the eye and I said, do not ask me to marry you until you are a hundred percent certain that you want to be stuck with me for the rest of your life. Cause I'm not doing divorce. Like mm-hmm. I grew up in a divorce household. I grew up that way. And I know that he had been divorced. I didn't want that. And I didn't care if it took 10 years or it never happened. I just didn't want to jump into a relationship that was going to end um, so I was like, you damn well better make sure you want this. So it took right. a few months before he really proposed, but. 
No, no drunken Christmas proposals. No drunken Christmas proposals here. That's right. Not wanted. Now I'm wondering, you said, so your husband, um, how did you guys meet in the first place? I want to hear that story. Uh, yeah. So we met, we were actually working in the same job, like as the same job title. So I have a degree in theater arts. I actually graduated from the University of Arizona um, when I was 20. So I did it all super fast. <laughs> I did it from like wow, 18. Yeah. Um, graduated with my degree in theater arts um, and technical theater and started working at a convention center as a, they called it a stagehand supervisor, but basically like handling all the audiovisual equipment that would go you know, around the convention center and stuff like that. And so there were probably, I think like maybe 10 stagehand supervisors that were like all of us that were doing that. And, um, and he was one of them. I actually, he was working on, um, uh, we had a theater as part of the convention center and Lion King was there, the live show, really cool. So he was actually working um, on Lion King when I first met him and I could only see him a little bit. And um, he had like gray hair and I was 22. (laughs) And I was like instantly attracted to him. But then I was like, oh, he has gray hair. So he's probably way too old for me, right? Like, (laughs) but then- this is back in the days of American Idol. So I was like, but there was that guy in American Idol that had gray hair that was like 20. So maybe, maybe. That's right. That's right. I do remember that. Right. So this is a long time ago. (laughs) And, um, and so I just was super attracted to him and he was in a, um, he was married at the time and I was in a relationship. So there was literally nothing that ever happened there. Um, and we just were coworkers for several years um, and then his marriage ended um, the person I had been dating, you know, we separated and, um, and one night, uh, oh, my husband actually at the time, like whatever, just friend had started working for another company as well that I was working for. Cause when you're, when you're in theater, like you have to have multiple jobs. It's not a one job show. Yeah. <laughs> it does not pay the bills with, with just the one. So I had multiple jobs and um, we were both working for the other company, but he was kind of like above me at that company. And he had my paycheck and I needed to get it. So we had been emailing this back before like IMs and text messages. We had been emailing back and forth about getting this paycheck and um, decided to go grab a bite to eat. And I was like, I'm hungry. You're hungry. Let's go eat and we'll get the check. And we just hit it off. We had the best night just hanging out, talking. Um, I had just bought a house at 22. I was super proud of that fact that I had like bought a house at 22. I invited him to come see my house. And then we just stayed up until like three o'clock in the morning talking. No, no illicit activities. It was literally just great conversation. And, um, and the next morning, you know, I got this email that was like, was that a date? (laughs) So, um, that was seven, seven, oh, seven, totally by accident, but what a cool day. Um, and, uh, we started dating. Wow. I like (laughs) that. And I'm very impressive that you bought a house at 22. Like who does that? That's crazy. Yeah. Well, it turned out like the rent at the place I wanted for like an apartment was just as much to buy. Truth be told, we got an interest only arm and this is not, you know, like I should not have bought a house at 22 when the bank was like, here, have have a $400,000 house. It's going to cost you the same as your apartment. Like you should have a house. And I was like, cool. I'm 22. Cool. I can have a house. But when you're only paying interest, of course, it's cheap and you get screwed in the back run and I still own the damn house. So we won't go into that. But I will say, like, I felt accomplished at the time. Sure. <laughs> yes. I want to know. That. I want to know if the, hey, I'm hungry, you're hungry thing was truly just like accidental connection or if he was playing an angle. Well, I suggested we go to dinner. So if there was an angle, it was totally on my side. Oh, Um, okay. I do go after what I want, though. No, we had flirted occasionally (laughs) at work. 
<laughs> we had flirted a little bit at work. Um, but truly I was like, I, like in the, this is like emails back and forth. If you can imagine how slow, how like this must've taken probably an hour <laughs> back and forth emails back in the day where yeah. I was like email. Cause I don't even think you had like push notifications. So you had to go refresh your email box yeah. <laughs> to see if refresh, you got refresh, 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 dial ups, you're like waiting. <laughs> so I sent a, you know, so I sent the email and was like, um, cool. I need to get that check from you. And we had been talking about how he was going to give it to me because he was no longer working the convention center anymore. And then, um, and I, finally I was like, okay, I've got to go. Like, I'm hungry. I'm going to stop emailing you. And then he replied and was like, oh yeah, I got to do that too. And I was like, well, if you're hungry and I'm hungry, you live near me, like, let's just go eat. So it was all me. Um, but the first time we kissed was also all me. So I will tell yeah. you after what I want. <laughs> she is a take charge woman. Justin, okay, this is reminding me of our early dating days. Remember when we always used to go to TGI Fridays because you used to date one of the waitresses because, yeah. and she would give us all these extra rewards points. And so we would always eat <laughs> we for free. It wasn't, like, like every like, time just we Just to went. be clear, it wasn't awkward because we didn't really date. Like it was in high school. We knew each other. We were friends from from the 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 theater community there and everything like we had gone on a couple dates. We had hung out, but we didn't, we, you know, so it was like my friend. Yeah. Yeah. That was before everybody hated chain restaurants. I, I always loved TGI Fridays. I still love Chili's to this day. That's my, that's my jam. If I'm going to go for a chain. Well, I always tell people, so I worked at an Outback in high school. I also worked at a PF Chang's. We're talking chain restaurants, right? And um, and I used to think Outback was like the best steak ever because I worked there. Like I used to think it was great, okay? And then I grew up and I started to have a, a pretty good income. And, you know, my husband and I were living in Seattle and we, we would occasionally eat at places like Ruth Chris and Morton's. And it spoils you because now I'm like, Outback has shitty steak. And it's not, it's so disappointing because I'm like, I wish I could go back to the naive person that thought that Outback, like a $12, you know, filet was a good steak. Like, I wish I could go back to that part yeah. of my life. And I feel like that's how all of my life has been. Every time, you know, I, you get a, a, a little bit nicer car, a little bit nicer house. I'm like, man, I wish I could just go back to like the roll up window Hyundai that I thought was the coolest thing ever. And now because I drive a Lexus, I am so spoiled that if my car doesn't come with ventilated seats, I also live in Arizona where it's ridiculously hot. Sure. I'm like, I can't buy this car. It doesn't have ventilated seats and remote start. So I just want to go back to the time when I was a little less spoiled. Yeah, I, yeah, we yeah. live in Texas. So we understand what you are saying about the, just like you're on hell's front porch, you know? <laughs> Pretty much, you're just right there. Yeah. Um, I used to love just Justin and I had this little Saturn coupe that we had with like a stick shift, and yeah, oh, yeah. the roll down windows, right. everything was like manual. Yeah. It was manual locks, manual <laughs> windows, manual. I mean, it, it was uh, transmission. Transmission. I don't even you. take my key out of my pocket anymore. Like that's that's yeah. the level I'm on these days. If yeah. if the car that I'm gonna buy requires a physical key. I'm like, mm, I'm out. I have to find yeah. that thing every time. Nope. <laughs> Even the, like, I, sometimes I borrow a, a car from my parents. It's so funny because I'm like, mom, what do you mean? I have to stick the key in the car. Like, are you kidding me? I, and she's like, Danielle, do you realize this conversation that we're having right now? I'm like, yes. I, I, it's I, bad I, enough if you have to actually pull the key out of your pocket to unlock her or lock the door with instead of just being able to walk up to right. it. Okay. And now to actually put it in the ignition. Oh. oh my gosh. Okay. So let's get back on track here. Okay. 
What? Okay, so you guys are madly in love. You decide, you said once you knew like he was the guy that you were open to parenthood. And so like, how did it go down for you? Like you guys deciding to get pregnant and then how was your pregnancy and all that? Yeah, so he finally asked me to marry him on the side of a mountain, um, on the side of a ski slope in um, February, which sounds super romantic. Um, but actually what happened, so this, so like December was the, I'm not proposing proposal, right? Yeah. And then yeah. February was like February 21st. And I only remember not because I'm that girl, but because it was like a holiday day. It's like President's Day or something. I don't even remember what holiday, whatever. But I remember because we thought the ski slopes would be empty. And then all these other jerks were out there skiing with us because it was a darn holiday. So right. we, we lived in Seattle, we went to Crystal Mountain, we're on the mountain. And what you do, for those that don't ski, what you do is you, you get to the top, you ski a little bit, and then that's exhausting. So you take a break and you pause on the side of the mountain and you look around at all the beautiful hills and valleys and trees and you appreciate the scenery and then you ski a little bit more and you stop again, right? And that's what you do. You wait for your other person to catch up. So we're in this little crevice in the mountain, looking around, standing next to each other on our skis. And um, he pulls off his, his goggles, right? He lifts them up and he says, looks at me and just says, do you want to get married? That's it. No ring, no bended knee, no real proposal. I wasn't sure if he was serious. Like, honest to God, I turned and said, are you serious? Like, I wasn't sure. And he was like, no, yes, I'm serious. I want to be married to you. And I was like, oh, okay, sure. Yeah, I want to get married. Like, let's do it. <laughs> but there was nothing special about it. Um, and then we ended up getting married. Um, fair, I don't know that you can get down on one knee if you have skis. Well, truth be told, but he could have had a ring. Like it could have been a little bit more obvious. It could have said, will you make, like there was not, it was not an obvious proposal. <laughs> right. So, um, we, we decided to get married. Um, we ended up getting married in September of 2011. And, uh, um, once we got married, I knew that he was going to, like, he's older. He's nine years older than I am. So he did have gray hair starting at 14, but he is older. Oh, wow. <laughs> I knew he was going to want to, I was like 20, I must've been like 27. I think when we got married, 25, 27, somewhere in there. So I knew he was going to want to start having kids sooner rather than later. Like his clock was ticking a little bit more than mine, even though men don't expire. And uh, he didn't want to be an old dad. So, um, I had, uh, you know, I had, I was taking birth control. I'd been for a long time and we just decided, um, in like September of the year later. So one year later that we wanted to have kids. So I stopped the birth control a month later, got pregnant. Um, and then nine months later made a kid. <laughs> you and your spouse could be just one conversation away from becoming soulmates. Whoa, honey, that's a big problem. I know, to make. but I'm making it. All right. But we have been using this one simple, powerful tool for almost a decade. It's radically transformed our relationship and hundreds of other marriages too. Yes. You see, in the chaos and busyness of everyday life, we all get wrapped up in these five-second conversations. Did you take out the trash? What? Did you schedule a doctor's appointment? Yes. Did you get their milk on the way home? What? No. Wait. Who? What? See, Why are you I doing mean, this to we me? We get stuck in those five-second <laughs> conversations. I'm having a little, a little moment here now. Uh, but the truth is that more intimacy and connection begins with more conversations that matter. And that's what the Sashay Check-In Guide is all about. All right. So get your free copy of our guide, From Roommates to Soulmates, How to Create More Intimacy and Connection in Your Marriage in Five Minutes Without Awkwardness or Ugly Fights Using the Sashay Check-In. You can get your copy today at legendarymarriage.com slash check-in. And now back to the show. 
I was very lucky. I know. And this is again, why I'm, I'm always looking on the bright side of things. I know there are so many parents, so many people who struggle to get pregnant, to, to have a child, you know, go through all of that. Um, my sister, in fact, went through fertility treatments and all of that to have her first child. So I totally get that struggle. I was very fortunate and I knew that I was very fortunate to get pregnant so quickly. And then I had a very healthy pregnancy. Um, I was a, st- I am a rule follower. So <laughs> if there was a rule, like don't drink, don't eat cold cuts, don't eat sushi. Like I gave it all up. I didn't drink coffee. I didn't have a glass of wine. Even if it was like a gray area, I stayed away. Um, I took all the vitamins and I ate all the right foods and I all organic. Like I was the, I did what I was supposed to do. Um, and everything checked out. And then at 38 weeks, um, five days, I started having contractions and they, my mom was in labor with me and my little brother 24 hours each. So it's pretty hereditary um, that your your labor is not like if you're, you know, that passes down. So I was like, cool, we're going to settle in for a long labor. They tell you to stay at home as long as possible. It was a Sunday night, like Monday morning, 1am Monday morning when I started having these contractions. And I'm like, okay, it's going to be a while. I'm going to stay in bed. I'm not going to wake anybody. Six o'clock is going to come. We're all going to wake up on a Monday morning and then we'll call, we'll go to the hospital, whatever. Right. So then like two o'clock comes and, and for, for moms out there, like you get up to pee, especially like the more pregnant you are and then contractions. So like every 20 minutes I'm getting up to pee at this point um, while I'm having contractions and then I'm kind of falling back to sleep and I'm starting to watch the clock because you're supposed to look for like, are they five minutes apart, whatever. And um, long story short, my water ends up breaking around three o'clock in the morning and we can't wait anymore. <laughs> so right. So then if they don't tell you, I'm going to tell everybody here, if you have not had your water break, because nobody told me, and I feel like this is a like public service announcement for people. <laughs> it's not a balloon full of water that then stops. Like you continue to, pro- your body continues to produce amniotic fluid and you continue to leak said amniotic fluid. So I was waiting for my balloon of water, which like, you know, I thought to be done. So we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. It doesn't stop. Just go to the hospital. Like (laughs) nobody told me, but I'm telling you. So we get in the car, we go to the hospital. And at this point, my contractions are probably about three minutes apart. Super painful. I have an extremely high tolerance for pain and I was like dying. So Mm. we get to the hospital and I am literally like, we're walking in and I'm like, epidural, epidural, please. (laughs) I, I need that. I knew what I wanted. They hook me up to monitors. Um, they check everything out. They get us into a room. And they're like, okay, well, you're only three centimeters dilated, which for those that are listening is like almost nothing. So you're going to settle in for 15 hours. And they call the people to do the epidural, all that kind of stuff. They get the epidural in and miss. Apparently that's a thing. They only got half of me. Uh. <laughs> so I got two epidurals. Um, and, uh, and then they were watching my daughter's heart rate. And every time we would have a contraction, her heart would stop. So concerning. So then they decide, okay, well, the doctor actually comes in and she, and she says, um, it's up to you, but I would suggest we do an emergency C-section. I'm like, how is this up to me? Like, if you think that that's a good idea, let's go ahead and do that. I am not a panic person. I am a calm, wait for the fallout. Like, let's see where the, you know, the chips lay and then I'll panic. Like, I just don't panic. So I'm like, let's do the C-section thing. Yeah, let's go. So we go for the emergency C-section and, um, you know, 45 minutes later, they get her out and they do her APGAR scores, which is like a test for brand new babies to make sure they're all, you know, good and healthy. And she's good. She's fine. She's totally normal. And they give her to us just like any other baby. And for about two hours, 
we were blissfully happy parents. We're in the, the, you know, the maternity room, whatever they call that. And first grandchild in the family. So my dad had come up from, um, my dad, and my stepmom had come up from Tucson. We lived in Phoenix at the time, about two hours away. My mom was in San Diego because I had the baby early. So she was like arriving back from San Diego. My little brother came up and we were just happy. And then her temperature was low and her blood sugar was low and she wasn't really latching on trying to breastfeed, which is totally normal. First time mom, like so normal. So they take her to the nursery to warm her up and to give her some formula to get her blood sugar up. And um, when new babies are born, doctors do what they call rounds. The, the pediatrician will come and they just check the new baby. And so our pediatrician, who we had already checked out ahead of time and all of that comes and he looks at her in the nursery. And my husband was there. I, I wasn't because I was preparing from a C-section. They don't let you just like, you know, walk around the hospital bleeding. So, so he's there with her and the doctor looks at her and he says, I don't know what's wrong, but something is wrong with this baby. Take her up to the NICU. And so they rushed her up to the NICU. No idea why. He just, he didn't even know, just like sent her up there. And uh, my husband was up there with her. And within about 20 minutes of her being in the NICU, she had two apneic episodes, stopped breathing, turned blue. Um, luckily, she was up in the NICU. So they revived her right away. And I, again, being grateful. If she had been in a room with us, I would not have a daughter. If I, like, we, it would have been too late, too much damage. Like, you know, she was there. They were able to do something about it right away. And I'm so grateful for that. And then it was this find out what's going on. So it took about three days of EEGs that showed seizures, then CT, eventually an MRI um, to find out why she had had these apneic episodes, why she was having seizures. Um, the, we were waiting for the MRI results and the neurologist said, okay, I want to discuss this with you back in your room. We had gone up to the NICU and back and it was like two floors above. So we go back to the room, the neurologist comes in, he's got a red folder. And he opens it up and inside are just the printed out brain scans, uh, black and white. He lays one out. He circles in red pen, this really dark spot on the scan. And he says, do you see this really dark portion of the scan here in your daughter's brain? Well, that portion of your daughter's brain is dead. Oh, wow. And uh, she had a stroke during birth. And um, she's going to have cerebral palsy, probably seizures for the rest of her life. We really don't know what her cognitive outcome will be. My heart stopped. I didn't know how to react. I didn't even know other parents that had kids with special needs. I, I didn't know babies could have strokes. Like I thought that was a thing that happened when you got old. I didn't know that that was even possible. My dad was sitting directly across from me. I'm sitting on the bed with my husband and my dad was sitting in a chair in front of the bed. And I've never seen my dad cry in my entire life. And I saw tears just rolling down his face. First grandbaby, like... And so we had all these questions and we're asking the neurologist, you know, like, what's that going to mean? We don't understand. Like, I don't even, you know, I kind of knew what cerebral palsy was, but not really explain it. He proceeds to physically act out how someone with severe cerebral palsy may walk or, or function in life and said, I don't know if she'll ever walk. I, you know, we don't know. This is a very severe damage that has happened. She had a middle left cerebral artery stroke and um, there's three that feed your brain so like the middle left like totally blew out a big portion of her brain um and uh we kicked him out because <laughs> he was yeah. awful we named we nicknamed him dr doom and loom we kicked him out of our room and my husband and i processed we kicked everyone out and we just kind of came together and we processed and we cried and we hugged and we pulled together and, um, and then we went back up to the NICU and we stayed with our daughter and we were like, we're going to figure this out. So we spent 11 total days in the hospital. Um, again, being grateful guys, I was a brand new parent. These people taught me how to 
bathe and feed and take care of my kid for 11 whole days. Normally you make a baby and they kick you out in two and they're like, good luck, don't kill it. Like I had 11 days of amazing teaching and the best nurses and the doctor, the neonatologist up in the NICU who didn't know us from, from anybody else, um, but just, I don't know, saw us as great parents and really liked that we were there all the time and, and so attentive, said, you know what? I actually work with a woman in my practice whose husband works for a totally different hospital group, but he's the top uh, neurosurgeon and he has two like extra years in neonatal stroke. He's the only person in the Western hemisphere with this. Wow. He doesn't take clinic patients. The only way you can be a patient of his is if like you get hospitalized at his hospital and he takes you on. But let me call in a favor and see what I can do. This person that didn't know us at all called in a favor, got us in with this amazing doctor who we had for three years and then he moved to Idaho. But the best three years, and it was the three years we needed him. And the top docs know all the other top docs. We had the most amazing care. You know, when they piled the hospital, the social workers pile on all of these paperwork and they said, oh, we're going to apply for this for you. We're going to apply for that for you. And you're going to have all these things. And, and we got home and we just tried to be parents and I uh, tried to get her to appointments and, you know, do whatever they told us. And I woke up six months down the road, uh, realizing that whatever they had said they were applying for, they didn't. And we had about a hundred thousand dollars in medical debt. Um, even though I had a great job, my husband had a great job. I had amazing insurance clearly doesn't cover it all. Um, <laughs> and we had to figure that out. So I went to work. I am a problem solver. And I went and solved that problem. I said, how am I going to, they said they applied for something they didn't, but what, what would they have even applied for? How can I apply? And I started to do the research and um, I can happily say that at almost six, we are <laughs> medically debt free. So that's amazing. Um, wow. Yeah, that's, that's the, the long story, sorry, of her birth. <laughs> no, oh, wow. That oh is... I'm just wondering, like, when, uh, like, even as a baby, you said part of her brain, like he said in the scan, was dead. Like, did that affect, like, how she was, like, as a baby? I'm sure now that she's older, you can see some of the effects. But um, how did that, like, was there extra stress, like, even when she was a newborn? Yeah, it's a great question. So um, about 4% of births, the babies will have strokes in utero. So sometime before the birth, 4% is pretty big. Um, it's a, it doesn't sound like that big of a number, but it is. It's a lot of, it's a lot of babies. Um, what happens is that the, you typically don't catch it until the kids are about two or three years old. And then you start to see some weakness on one side. You start to see them not progressing the same as other. When babies are babies, like they don't, a stroke in a, in a newborn is very different than a stroke in an adult. As an adult, we've already learned how to use all of our limbs. We know how to talk. We know how to smile. We know how to do things. As a baby, you don't have to do those things. You have some reflexes that are built in, but like you're pretty like, you know, open, open space going on in there. There's not a lot of programming yet. Yeah. So you don't notice necessarily these deficits. We were fortunate, I would say, that that obviously the doctor sent her to the NICU, and then fortunate that she did have those apneic episodes that forced them to do the scans that eventually showed the seizure activity and the MRI and the the, the stroke, because we wouldn't have known. And the first three years is the best time to make a difference. Your brain doesn't know anything. So you can literally like change the synaptic pathway that things go. So my daughter has severe weakness on her right side. When you, the left portion of your brain is affected, the right side of your body is affected. It's, it's backwards. So um, she has 
pretty limited use of her right hand still to this day. She's almost six. Um, she can, if she really focuses, she can open and close it, but not a lot of strength there. She can use her right arm. She can walk like any, any other normal kid. She wears a brace on one leg, but like she can do amazing things. It's because we started working so hard. Um, but there was, there was a lot like that we wouldn't have noticed as an infant if that hadn't been pointed out to us and we didn't know to look for it because it's not obvious in a brand new baby. Right. Um, She didn't walk till she was two and a half. She never crawled. She just wasn't physically capable of crawling. Um, She still can't crawl today. She just can't bear weight on that hand. Um, But, uh, you know, but we we got into the right therapies. Um, When she was about six months old, she started having seizures. We were on anti-seizure medication because we knew about that from the initial seizures, but then she started having other seizures. <laughs> so we were hospitalized for about three weeks um, around Christmas, three separate weeks. They put her on some really intensive medication to stop those seizures. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it, there are some things that you you would notice and some stuff you wouldn't. Today, if I didn't tell you there was something different about her, you wouldn't notice right away. Although when you ask, like we get asked, you know, well, what does your daughter have? Because I work in the special needs field. I, I work with other parents. They always want to know, um, and I work with a lot of autism parents, which is amazing. Um, but they always think like, oh, do you have autism? I'm like, oh, I don't have autism, but I have all the other letters. So um, she has CP, which is cerebral palsy, SPD, which is sensory processing disorder. A lot of us actually have that one, <laughs> like myself included, but hers is more severe. Um, and she's a seeker, which means like she's constantly bouncing and moving and running and interacting with things. Um, we have ADHD. Uh, ODD, which is oppositional defiance disorder. That one's not as much fun. (laughs) And then of course, seizures. Um, But you know, like you wouldn't, from just looking at her, you would not instantly know that something was different. And it's because of all of that hard work that we've done. Yeah. Wow. I mean, you and your husband must have had to like, go into like serious, like go mode, like we are a team. I, I'm just wondering, how did your marriage even shift yeah. in that season when you're realizing, when you kind of come out of the, you know, I mean, it's everybody's hard in the baby phase. Like you said, you may or may not notice something in the baby phase, but how did it change just your think, relationship? Yeah, I just think about like when when our girls were born and how frankly helpless and frustrating that is as a dad, like there, there's, there's really not much I can do here. <laughs> like, I can feed a bottle. I can change a diaper, things like that. But like the, 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 the real connection, the real uh, magic of a newborn happens with mom in so many ways. And it's like, I, I'm, I'm, I'm an outsider trying to kind of breach in. <laughs> and, and so I'm, I'm wondering how, how he was doing in the middle of that. So my husband travels about 80% of the year for work. Um, He does event production. And so he's in Barcelona right now. He's not even here. Um, So he, he was actually supposed to be like leaving the very, like the next week after she was born because she was born early, but then he didn't go. (laughs) But, um, but he still traveled, you know, he didn't really take off work. Um, I, at the time was working full time at a, um, at a hotel in their audiovisual department doing sales. And um, I took, you know, the three months off for having the baby all, all expected. But, um, I am very much like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to be strong. And I knew he had to get up every day and go to work. And I didn't. So I kind of took a lot of that responsibility on. I didn't wake him in the middle of the night. And and again, like you said, Justin, like, what's he going to do? Like I was breastfeeding. (laughs) Can't really help. Like, so I was like, whatever, I'll just suffer. But I would just wake up with her. Um, and, uh, and then he, you know, went back to traveling and it, it was what it was. And I just, um, 
I didn't even really have a support network at the time. I didn't have a lot of other mom friends. Um, my family all lives two hours away. So a lot on my own, but it made me super strong. And, um, and when he was home and even when he was away, you know, he was as supportive as he could be. And he's always been there. Tragedy will either push you apart or pull you together. Right. And so it totally like, not that we weren't already together, but it just pulled us closer. It caused that there to be even more support there. Um, he has all, I've always supported him for a long time. And so this was his turn to kind of like be supportive of me. Um, and you know, now down the road, um, I quit my job, my corporate job in December of 2016. I work fully, you know, full-time from home. Anytime I say, oh, I want to go try this adventure. I want to do this thing, or I want to go down this avenue. Um, I want her, you know, I want our daughter to try this. He's super supportive. And, um, and I know like, no matter what I, it's funny, like I'll ask if I can do something or, you know, whether it's financial or something that's maybe risky and I'll say, oh, can I do this? And he goes, I never say no to you. And I know that he would never say no. I still ask out of one respect because, you know, you should respect your partner and ask. Um, and two, because my question isn't necessarily like, can I go do this? Will you let me yeah. But do you think that I can, right? I'm looking for that support. So, um, you know, anytime that it's been a big decision, he's always been hundred percent supportive. Um, and, and he's, you know, as helpful as he can be from far away. And then when he's home, he's very much a loving, engaging dad. Um, they did a daddy daughter dance recently, which was super cute. So I I feel very fortunate. Um, you know, there are military spouses that their, their husbands are gone for a year and they don't even know they might come back or not. So again, always grateful. Um, that, that I can talk to him every day through FaceTime and (laughs) he can be as supportive as he can be. Now, I'm wondering, when did you kind of, obviously, you have this amazing community that you've created for parents um, that have special needs children. Like, when did you kind of realize that community was going to be important for this journey? So I've never been good at making friends. Um, I was always like a one or two close friend kind of person, as opposed to my sister, who was always a like 100 acquaintance person. (laughs) I just... I don't like people enough to have a hundred of them around me. I think it's really my, my issue. Um, so, you know, community wasn't a big thing for me. It wasn't something I thought I needed. Um, but what happened was what I did need was additional financial support because I was working full time. My husband was working full time, but yet the bills were still very large and I couldn't get another job because my husband wasn't home. So who's going to watch the kid. And if anybody's ever tried to put their kid in daycare, like, regular daycare is already expensive. And then you add like night care and things. And it's just ridiculous. Like you might as well not have a job. So I had her in daycare during the day and then, and while I would work. Um, and then I was trying to find something I could do, you know, and still be around her, but bring in an extra income. Um, I found what I think a lot of people these days find, which is network marketing. So I fell into that and I did very well for a while. And through that, aside from the financial aspect, was that support, that community that I didn't realize I needed. Um, there's so many, network marketing gets a bad rap for so many reasons. And obviously that's not what this is about, but what it is amazing at, and I think almost all network marketing is like this, is that community. It, yeah. is, it is totally like a cult drink the Kool-Aid, but mm-hmm. when you're inside and you're drinking the Kool-Aid, like you are, they support and they lift you up and they, they encourage, and there's so much mindset work that goes on. And and yeah. so much positivity. And I needed that at that time. So the financial aspect was great, but the community piece was really big. And through that and through developing that and growing myself, um, I kind of fell into being an entrepreneur 
and wanting to kind of continue down that road, um, have something that was mine. And, uh, and then eventually I had so many people that were like, you're such an amazing special needs mom. You're doing all these amazing things that other parents don't know about. And a lot of times we don't realize our special talents. So to me, I was doing what any parent does. And I, I, I'm a problem solver, like isn't everybody. And <laughs> of course, everyone knows about these services and this support and these things. I just assumed everyone knew. And because I had built this community in the network marketing field, I started to join other special needs parenting communities because now I wanted community. Now I was like, cool, this is fun. People are nice. I want to be a part of it. So I started to branch out, join other special needs communities. And what I found was that there were so many people that didn't know. They didn't know about all of the resources and services and support that was out there. And so I started Stronger Mommy as a way to help them find those resources and get that support, um, you know, get those services. And then what I realized was more importantly than all of that is actually that as a parent, you need community. And especially as a special needs parent, there's so much isolation, so much feeling of us versus them. Other mainstream parents don't get what we're going through. It's different. Um, There's a lot, especially as your kid gets a little bit older, like you get looks from people that don't understand. They just think your kid's, you know, just being a brat when really, you know, maybe there's some autism going on or whatever. And so I started to work with other parents as a way to help them navigate that world and all the things that I had learned in self-development and, you know, those years that I had spent learning all of that translated to how I could help other parents better communicate with the rest of the world um, get out there, connect with other people, either, you know, mainstream or special needs. And, um, and that developed into what, what now is stronger mommy, which encompasses the resources, services, support, and ultimately the community that we all need. Mm, That's so good. I wonder if you have any, you, you said there was, it was almost like a, a division. I'm sure it is like the mainstream kids versus the kids with, and probably the parents too. There's a separation there. What words of wisdom would you have for uh, both sides? Like how to bridge the gap, how to like come together? So my go-to book is how to win friends and influence people. I read it long before having a child. Um, and it is, if you haven't read it or if you hate reading like me, like get the audio version, like do <laughs> watch it on YouTube, whatever, like find how to win friends and influence people and absorb every ounce of it. Mm-hmm. I still have the book, the physical copy. I reference it. I re-listen to it. It sounds like a fancy title, but what it really is, is how to communicate with other people in a way that gets you what you need to get out of that situation without putting them on the defensive. So it happens in most conversation when we're trying to get an outcome and the other person is trying to get out their outcome is we're fighting. We're going to take it to the extreme and talk political for just a quick second. I'm not going to say party sides, so keep it safe. But if you are a Democrat and the person you're talking to is a Republican, like it doesn't matter what argument you come up with. They're not going to side with you because they've already committed, right? From the beginning of that conversation, they already committed to being against whatever you say. It's just who they are. So you have to come at, and everything is like that. We, especially when we commit to something, even if we're shown that we're wrong, we don't want to be wrong. So then we like dig our heels in harder. We're like, I'm going to figure out how to make this seem like I'm right. I can't possibly admit that I'm wrong. So if as a person, when you communicate, you can attack any situation from a, I see your side first. And, and that is what I learned from how to win friends and influence people. So when I go to a school meeting and I know that my daughter is having challenges in class and I need to figure out how we're going to get her the services that she needs to be better supported in the classroom. I don't go in with, I need these things for me. I go in with, 
I know we're having some challenges in class and I want to make sure that this is the best classroom environment for you as a school, for all the other kids, for the other parents. I don't want my child to be disruptive. What can we do to make this a better classroom environment for everybody, to make it easier on the teacher, to make it easier on you as a school? Now, as a school, isn't that way easier to approach? Aren't you like, yeah, this parent wants to work with us. I want to, it's just a different outlook. I'm, I'm going for the same outcome. I'm still getting what I need, but I've approached it in a way that makes them open to wanting to discuss it. <clears throat> so that's like literally, I would say, and I tell my moms all, that all the time and it works if you're talking to other special needs, if you're talking, you know, mainstream to special needs, if you're just a mainstream parent, and you're trying to navigate something like go read that book. <laughs> that book changed my life. Mm, um, and then so the other thing, the other thing I always tell people is share be open. Like I'm an open book and I'm not saying you have to share all the deep, dark medical secrets of your child's whatever. But if you're, you know, the other day I had a mom that was asking, you know, she said she was, she was in line at a store. Her, her child um, was having a meltdown and she was getting all of these awkward stares. Um, and I've had parents that are like, oh, well, my kid's five and they're still in a stroller because otherwise they run, they're a runner. I have to have them strapped in. But I get these looks that like, why is this five-year-old in a stroller? And I, so approach them. So look, like, look back at that person, look them in the eye that's looking at you and then make light of it. Is it make a joke? Like, I know it's so weird that my five-year-old have, has to be in a stroller, but I got to tell you this autism journey, I was not prepared for that. Man, she's a runner. Thank God I strap her in. So she's not like running crazy around the restaurant. And then people laugh and they find it funny and they want to talk to you and engage with you. Like don't immediately throw up your wall and put up your barrier, be open, be fun, be somebody that wants to engage with you in conversation and all of a sudden you open up this line of communication. And now this person who was staring at you a minute ago, they're so much more educated. And not only do they want to talk to you, but they're probably not going to stare at the next five-year-old in a stroller either. So you've yeah. saved that parent yeah. the headache too. And so we what all I have love. to just be more inclusive. What I love about how you share this is, is just the perspective of like one, like I hear your heart for serving other people. Uh, as as well as like right alongside serving your own your own family, and and just that that idea of of sharing it in a way that isn't uh, victimized or or right. heavy or 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 something like that, it, it creates opportunity for others to step in and to be in it with you, even in that tiny little moment. I love that. So uh, speaking of being in it with you, um, yeah. I know our listeners are going to want to know like how to find you and your community and mm -hmm. what you are up to. So let us know, how can we find you? So strongermommy.com um, is the website and you can find us at, you know, facebook.com and then forward slash stronger mommy. <laughs> so we're pretty easy. And as far as our, our Facebook community, we have, I have a private group for parents who have kids with special needs and don't get offended if, if you just want to be a part, but your kid doesn't have special needs. It is nothing against you. Um, there's just a very, there's a very specific reason as to why that community alone, that one little piece is only for parents who have kids with special needs. So if you do have a child with special needs, whatever those special needs are, um, and when I say different abilities, not disabilities. So whatever different abilities your child has, um, stronger mommies, the plural version is um, where you can find us uh, in that Facebook group and you can join that group. There's about 2,700 moms and a couple of dads <laughs> all in there who, who just get it, who get all of the, the raw and scary and real and hard things that you probably can't say in public. Um, I say in public, like I've totally carried my child's surfboard style out of a grocery store. Um, <laughs> but, you know, but it's, it's that community. If you're looking for that community and that's something that you need, that's the place to go. And otherwise, yeah, Stronger Mommy, just like Google that. We should pop up almost everywhere. <laughs> 
Yeah. All right. Well, Chantel Turner, thank you so much for being on the show. Yes. I really enjoyed having you. Like My pleasure. Thank you. Sploosh. What? That was that was part of Chantel's water breaking okay. PSA announcement. Where, where do you come up with these things? She said once your water breaks, it I never stops leaking. Yeah. Okay, so in that mode, okay, so it's 3 a.m., water's breaking. What do you do, honey? It's go time. Well, that sounds like a question for Pillow Talk. All Thursday right. nights at 8. All right, you got me. All right, so here's the Talk About It segment of the <laughs> show. Each week we... Cha- and now the Talk About It segment of the show. Each week we challenge you to set a time with your spouse to have a conversation that matters. All right, so here's the question. You thought you were going to steal that from me? I thought I was trying to. I was trying to sneak it under the radar. What strength do you see in your spouse when tragedy arises? Mm. All right. So, yeah, Chantel talked about how she and her husband got even stronger. But I have some specific strengths that I see in you when tragedy arises. I'm sure I have some that I would see in you, too. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm focused on other things. You you sounded sounded like you were trying to fake that or something. All right. That's it for today's show. As always, we're talking about all the hot topics and so much more over in our free community on Facebook. So come join the conversation at legendarymarriage.com slash community. You can find this episode and the show notes at legendarymarriage.com slash 127. Lastly, don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review the show so we know how we're doing and other couples can find us. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Legendary Marriage Podcast. This is Danielle and Justin reminding you... Don't settle for an ordinary marriage. Make yours legendary. Legendary.